0: So today we're going to talk about what's your sacred pathway, and we've been talking about what is our collective path together, and I want to remind you where we were last week. This is sort of your refresher course. If you, were, if you weren't in worship with us last Sunday, this will bring you up to speed where, where we are in Lent so far and where we're going all through the season, uh, and if you, uh, if you were here, I'm sure you could have done this too. I'm sure all of you could have said these next couple things. So there, following Christ draws us together uh, into a way of life, and we're calling that sort of a path. That was the earliest name for the Christian uh, faith. It was the way. So it was people who were following Jesus in a way of life. And so this, we're talking about Christianity as something more than just what we believe, but how do we live it together on this path that we're walking together uh, with each other and with, uh, led by God and led by Christ. So practices are actions within our power that help us to narrow the gap between who we are now and who we feel it is God is calling us to be. Down the road, this, this is the, the, the draw that leads us farther down the road. So practices help us deepen our faith, they help us mature spiritually, they help us uh, become more faithfully the people that God wants us to be. Practices tune our radios or our frequencies to, to into the ways of the spirit. And so it's practices, they're, they're not magical things. Praying is not magic or reading the Bible is not magic or uh, gathering for worship's is not, not magic. But we find that when we do these things, we put ourselves in a position to hear God more faithfully. To hear God more faithfully. So they wake us up to God. Practices take us not just to heaven. This is not just the, about the end game. But practices helped us to live in the fullness of the kingdom of God now. Jesus was always talking about what does the kingdom of God look like? How do we participate in that? How do we make the kingdom of God real for somebody who doesn't believe that God's reign is real in the world? And so how do we live into that? Practices help us to do that. And they define us and they identify us as people on the way. And this is a really important part. Practices don't make us perfect, but they do make life in a different way of life possible. I think that's a, if you, if you take nothing else away from Lent this year, I hope you remember that. That these practices of faith, these things that we do repetitively and, and constantly uh, in the Christian community, they make a different way of life possible for us. They don't make us perfect, and uh, none of us measure up in that regard. So let's talk today uh, about finding your sacred pathway, and that was what the point of the inventory was. This is based on a book by Gary Thomas. It's called Sacred Pathways. Probably read it about 10 years ago. It's been revised and updated. Um, We do have a couple copies of this, if anyone wants to dig deeper and explore on your own into this. And let's look at some of the different pathways and where you landed. Naturalist. How many of you have landed, this was like one of your top things, you were a naturalist. You're, yeah, not, not surprising, a lot of people sort of land in this. Now naturalists tend to love God outdoors. So it's killing you right now to be, like when it's a beautiful day, it kills naturalists to be inside in worship. It's like the, the, your heart is longing to get out in the garden. Your, your heart wants to be out there because that's where you experience God as powerfully as in a sanctuary. Uh, naturalists uh, feel the, the majesty and the grandeur of creation, and there is a holiness to, to that. And so uh, being inside is sometimes hard for those who experience God in this way, being a naturalist. It's one of the reasons, I, I score high in this area, and it's one of the reasons that I find such uh, spiritual sustenance in my photography. Because I love to be outdoors, uh, and it's not just the images that I take away, it's, it's the practice of being out there in the moment, sensing God's spirit all around me, and trying to tap into that. It's the guy that I saw on the bridge as I was driving out of Annapolis today, I, I have a feeling he was in his church, because he had set up a tripod on the bridge waiting for the sunrise. He was in his church, that he had gone to church. So naturalists sort of experience God that way, and there are a lot of us, you saw the number of hands, that, that experience God in creation powerfully. Uh, sensates. Uh, this is related, but slightly different. Sensates love God through their senses. They worship through sensual experiences like sights, art, sounds, music, uh, smells, and more. Like uh, it, it's, want worship to be very tactile. The kind of things that might sustain you if you are a sensate. How many of you identified highly as a sensate? Only, a, only one. The, oh, there, there's a, there's two. That's okay. Um, and I. Uh, if you are a sensei, you, you would love, for example, uh, when Reverend Nicole sets up a prayer stations uh, that give you hands-on kind of ways to pray. To touch the sand and think of the desert that Jesus was in. To touch water and remember your baptism. Uh, communion is p- particularly meaningful for sensates because it's a very tactile thing. We take bread and we take, and we take juice and we take God's spirit into us that way. So sights and sounds and smells. Traditionalists, anyone identify as a traditionalist here? It's not a bad word. Sometimes we use this and sometimes think this is a stodgy word. This is not a stodgy word. This is not a, a bad word. But traditionalists tend to love ritual and symbol, uh, connect to God through ritual and symbol, uh, and, and love the traditions and the sacraments of the church as a result. If you are a traditionalist, for example, you may, one of your favorite ways of praying might be to have a book of common prayer. Where it takes you day by day through these ancient collects of the church and very uh, and anchors you, you feel anchored to a deeper tradition uh, than just your own flitting spirituality. It connects you uh, to these ancient prayers of the church. So structure and liturgy and repetition uh, tend to, to light your fire if you're a traditionalist. Now, on the on, a, on another side would be ascetics. Anyone? I, do we have any ascetics here? This is a smaller category. The ascetics are probably all off being monks, right? Ascetics <laughs> would be people who, um, who find that withdrawing and simplifying, you know, St. Francis of Assisi, you think of that, you sell all your stuff, you live very simply, you don't, have, you don't have to have a lot of stuff. An ascetic and a traditionalist will experience a cathedral in a very different way, for example. You go, if you're a traditionalist, you walk into a cathedral and you say, oh my gosh, look at those beautiful stained glass windows and the carvings and, and, and all of these symbols of our faith that are so rich and so deep. And if you're an ascetic, you walk into a cathedral and you say, why did they spend so much money on that church? <laughs> right? Because you think that to follow God is to live more simply and to divest yourself of attachment to things. And so ascetics tend to be like the desert mothers and fathers who went off from society to live very, very simply. Or I think of the contemporary, uh, you know, in some ways, they're an interesting combination, the Shane Claiborns of the world, that are the new monastics living in communities that have said, you know, I don't need the, the suburban lifestyle. I'm gonna go buy a really inexpensive home in the city, renovate it, live there among the poor and I'm going to be a neighbor there. And so they are combining a couple practices, sort of a simple way of life, but also ways of, of justice and mercy that are combined there. So uh, there's, none of us are really one of these things. Activists. How many of you identified as activists? Did anyone come, come up as an activist? Activists want to engage the world and change the world. And you get fired up. Your Your way of being church or worshiping God might be To go down to the Capitol and lobby a state legislator to say, you know, we need to do more to care for the environment, or we need to do more to care for the poor, or we need to do more to make the playing field more even for for all of God's children. So you might find yourself advocating for a cause that you really believe in, uh, working for social justice. You, know, you you feel like that's where you experience God and where you're part of God's kingdom. If you're an activist, worshiping God through dedication to and working for social justice. Caregivers, how many of you identified as caregivers? This is a congregation, I would say there are a lot of caregivers in this congregation. And if you're a caregiver, uh, you're going to be nurtured by practices that help put you in relationship with other people. We've got a lot of our ministries that are I would consider caregiving ministries. These are acts, uh, ways that you can translate your compassion into an act of serving and being with another person. Uh, whether it be Heaven's Kitchen, whether you're probably the people that volunteered for Winter Relief this week because you love the interaction with our guests. You love that one-on-one connection and pouring out your heart uh, to another person through building these relationships. And you love that, that that's what feeds your soul and that's what you feel like puts you on the path. And we have a lot of ways for you to do that in this church, uh, a lot of ways that you can be hand, one-on-one, hands-on, kind of caregiving. That's Stephen ministry is a caregiving kind of ministry. You love to sit and listen and be God's presence for someone else. Because that's that's how God has wired you. Enthusiasts. Anyone do we have any enthusiasts in this, in this congregation? I hope we have a few. You know, enthusiasts who are ones who bring life and energy. Uh, this is I, where is where is Helen White on a Sunday like this when we need her? <laughs> If I were to guess, I think Helen might fall into that category. <laughs> Passionate. Expressive. They want to worship God with everything they've got. And so um, somebody who's a traditionalist and wants to worship God quietly and with more structure and maybe more ritual may not always get along with an enthusiast who wants to raise their hands and worship and just let loose but, and, and use the heart so, worshiping God with love and with gusto, enthusiastic, you know, t- tapping into that emotional space of our religious being. Now, contemplatives, on the other hand, sort of, again, go in a different direction. How many of you identified as contemplatives? We've got a couple intent- uh, contemplatives. I would guess if you were to uh, line this up on the Myers-Briggs survey, probably more eyes fall into this category, more introverts fall into this category. We're coming together in worship in a big way, may not be your thing as much as going off to a quiet place to pray by yourself. Where you enjoy, most contemplatives that I know have a very deep and active prayer life and experience an intimacy with God uh, off by themselves. Other people, others of us, we need community to really feel God's presence, but contemplatives can, uh, can really feel this one-on-one connection in a deep way. Uh, worship God by attentiveness, deep love, intimacy with God. Uh, I think of some of the great spiritual writers who fall in that category. Henry Nowen was a contemplative who was engaged in the world. He wasn't only a contemplative. But, uh, or uh, Thomas Merton or some of the, the great writers of the faith have been people who have been able to step apart And really connect to God in a deep way, and then maybe translate that back to us as well. You might feel better with practices of solitude uh, than an extrovert, than somebody who really needs communal worship. Now, Intellectuals love God with their minds and their hearts, but it's in that order. With the minds and in the hearts. How many of you identified as intellectuals? There are no thinkers in this church. Lee, it's, Lee, Lee is a thinker. There are some of you. And uh, if you are operate out of that, that you know, if, if you have a job, for example, that really requires you to do a lot of analytical work, a lot of thinking, and, and that's just and you love that, it wouldn't it make sense that your spirituality would be geared that way as well? that you come at faith uh, in the words of Ansem. I love these words: uh, faith-seeking understanding. Faith seeking understanding. You want to know how it all fits together. You want to know the big picture. You want to dig deep into the scriptures. You want to study. You want to study. You want to uh, read, and read, and read. And so, reading and studying and group study and teaching. Those of you who are sort of intellectuals fall toward this. Now, did I name? Did Did you find a place in any of those? I hope. And And did you find a place in several of those? How many of you found a place in several of those? You know, that you're, you're not really one of these. You're really one or two or three of these that would be your dominant way of, of, uh, of coming at faith and coming uh, to understand your place in God's kingdom. And that's, that's the caveat. I don't want you to walk away thinking, oh, no, I, I'm, pa- Pastor Ron told me that I have to always be this. We're not always one of these things. God has created us to be multiple uh, uh, combinations of these. We rarely approach God in our own spiritual journeys with just in one way. For me, I I know that I identify uh, as an intellectual, but also as a sensate, and also as a naturalist. Those are some of the ones that rose to the top of my list. And so it makes sense when I sort of sort out my own spirituality. Those are the pieces uh, that feed my spirituality in the ways that I come most alive in faith. And so you probably have your own combination. That, that makes sense for you and that works for you. Uh, spiritual temperaments may change over time. What worked for you as a 20-year-old may no longer be the way you experience faith now as a 50-year-old. And I think that's a normal thing. We sort of go through evolutions in our personalities and in our own spiritual journeys. We don't always come to God and come to faith in the same ways. And that's a natural thing. That's a, I want to tell you that we're going we're to approach God differently at different points in our lifetime. These different spiritual temperaments or sensibilities or ways that God works in us, uh, there's no hierarchy. None of, none of them are better than any of the others. So the order was just random. There's no, there's no sense in which the first one was the best and the last one was the worst, okay? So, and these things are what make the community of faith both a really rich place to be because I want to be with people who experience God differently than me so that I can tap into that too. I want to learn from their experience. I want to see the fullness of the expression of God in the world. And I I might not capture it just because of who I am. So I need to appreciate the people who are different than I am. And the other side of that is sometimes we drive each other crazy because we're not alike spiritually. Or we say, well, your spirituality is different than mine, so one of us must have the right path and one of us must have the wrong path. And I'm here to say today that I think God has made you uniquely who you are. And within the Christian faith, there are many paths, many ways to access this common path that we share, this way of love, this way of living in the spirit of Christ, that we need to embrace that. And we need to to sort of respect and appreciate within the body of Christ, the great diversity that there is. I think that's the richness of the body of Christ. The story uh, is told of Rabbi Azuzah, uh, the great rabbi in the rabbinic tradition. And I've heard it, I heard it first through Abraham Heschel, uh, a Jewish rabbi. And I love this story. He, he had a following, and he was uh, said to be on his deathbed. And he was talking to his students, the ones who had sort of followed him. Just like Jesus, the rabbi had followers. The different rabbinic traditions have established over the years, and these rabbis had followers. So he had his followers gathered around him in his deathbed. And this is what he said to them. He said, I'm not worried in the afterlife if God says to me, Rabbi Zuzia, why were you not Moses? Why didn't you lead the people out of their oppression? Because I could say... I didn't have those leadership skills. That wasn't my calling. I wasn't called to be Moses. And I'm not worried that God's going to say to me, Rabbi Zuzia, why weren't you Isaiah? Why didn't you have the language and the compelling uh, words to be able to get people to claim the fullness of God's covenant? Why wasn't that? Why weren't you Isaiah? He said, I'm not worried about that. I could answer, I'm not Isaiah, because that's not how I was made. And he said, why weren't you my Mimenides? My, my if you have to know your, a little bit of your Jewish history to understand that one. Mimenides is a great interpreter of Judaism within sort of the philosophical world. And a great, very learned, very bright. And he said, well, I just wasn't that smart. That wasn't my giftedness. He says, no, what I'm really worried about in the afterlife is that God will ask me, Rabbi Zujah, why weren't you Zujah? Why weren't you who I created you to be? I've always loved that story because I think in the end, God isn't calling you to walk on somebody else's spiritual path. God is calling you to walk on your spiritual path. With the way that you have been made in personality and temperament and life experience and all of those things combined, how are you combining all of that and turning it over to God? and using it as your way into the Christian life and your way to deepen your Christian life and the way to follow Jesus more faithfully. I want to bring us back to the passage of Scripture that started this conversation today. It is one of my very favorites. I'm reading from a new uh, Bible that I just bought a couple weeks ago. Nicole will will vouch for me that we spent a lot of time sort of out there scouring the universe to find out what other churches are doing, what other people are doing. And I talked to someone recently who was from a church in Louisiana, so I looked up their website and saw a worship service and things like that. And I'd never heard of this translation, The Voice. This translation is sort of like written, the Bible is a screenplay for, for the ear more than for the eye. And so I'm reading from The Voice these words that we heard earlier. Since you are all set apart by God, made holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with a holy way of life. A holy way of life. And this is what's part of that. This is the common path that all of us share. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Put up with one another. Forgive. Pardon any offenses against one another as the Lord has pardoned you because you should act in kind. But above all these, put on love. Love is the perfect tie to bind these together. Let your hearts fall under the rule of the anointed one's peace, that peace that you were called to as one body, as one body, and be thankful. Let the word of the Anointed One richly inhabit your lives with all wisdom. Teach, counsel, and instruct one another. You intellectuals, that's your job. You've got to teach us, right? Sing the Psalms and compose hymns and songs inspired by the Spirit and keep on singing. You enthusiasts, you sensates, need to bring us the music. Sing to God from hearts full and spilling over with thankfulness. You enthusiasts, you need to spill over your passion into this community so that we can feel God's presence. Surely, no matter what you're doing, speaking, writing, or working, do all in the name of Jesus our Master, sending thanks through him to God the Father. It's a common path, but there are lots of ways to be on that together. And I am so grateful for all the other people in this place, that travel this journey with me. I hope you are too.